Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is episode 64 with Bianca Zanini. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tayo Roxy. Welcome to Is Told by Nomads. Today I have with me Bianca Zanini, and she's an award-winning Danish-Brazilian journalist who has, you know, worked in primarily as a video journalist. She's produced a, a series of TV and online media sites. She works in U.S., Europe, Latin America, and she also writes articles and directs her own projects. Her last film was recently selected for the prestigious Canadian hot ducks international film festival and uh, in addition to all this she speaks five languages that's english danish portuguese spanish and french so i'm so excited to have her because she has such an international background and she has uh, an international and human rights communications background as well so welcome to the show bianca thank you very much all right all right so i, I, happy I was to be here <laughs> i'm happy you're here too i was going through all that and then the first thing that i wanted to say was what do you normally identify as? I know you said Danish-Brazilian, but then you have all these places that you travel to. So which places feel like home to you? Um, well, that's a difficult question. I mean, <laughs> I guess on a good day, which are most days, happily, I have many homes. Yes. And on a tough day, I don't feel at home anywhere specifically, you know? Mm. Um, I think I connect to Denmark very much. I connect to Brazil now I connect also to New York because I lived there almost f- five years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think I, I feel I feel safe and mm-hmm. I feel like I belong all places, but at the same time, it's not entirely home. It's not entirely me, you know? No. I'm always a little bit out of place. <laughs> and I completely get you. And I was telling you earlier before we, we started uh, the interview, I was telling you I moved to New York on purpose. And the reason for that yeah. is it's because I... It reminded me of home in some weird way, but it's also a lot of cultures. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria, and um, all the noise and the culture and everything. 
uh, just seemed to make me, even though I'm not from here, just make me felt like I was part of here. But um, was, yeah, I think yeah. I think New York is definitely famous for that, for doing exactly that. Since everyone, almost everyone, is from somewhere else, right? We join together and make our own home there. I that, think it's that, very common. I definitely felt that too. That's exactly true. So, do you know how many countries you've been to at this point? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> that is so crazy. That is that is the epitome of okay. That's the epitome of what we call a third culture kid and global nomad. So all right, all right. So now, I, I've lived in four. You've lived in four, but so you that's not you know. But you traveled a lot more. Like oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. You traveled a lot more. So I, when I found you on Twitter and I was looking at your background, it says you know you do a lot of independent documentary films and um, you also produce a lot of content and you work as a journalist. Can you tell me what drew you to doing these type of stuff and why this particular journalism for you? I think there are many answers, you know, or it's a long answer at least. Um, I was always very, um, I guess, I love telling stories always from real life. You know, everything that happened, if I was crossing the street and something happened in traffic, I like even the smallest thing I would turn into a story that I could tell, you know, in a good way. Um, and another thing was I've always had this really strong sense of justice. I want things to be fair. I want things to be right. And when they aren't, it, you know, it hurts me in my stomach, which is why I think my focus is social issue and, you know, prison system and punishment, crime and punishment, the the idea that we as a society have of of you know of that of crime and punishment and guilt and forgiveness and uh, I think that um, I remember when I was seventeen I think I read the um, crime and punishment of Dostoevsky. You read crime and punishment. Of course, and it's I, a classic. I know, know it is. It is. I, I avoided that book for so long because I was so scared of how long. Oh my god! It just it changed my life. It's so funny. And I remember I wrote, uh, I read an article about some other director, documentary director, who said he read this book and it changed his life. And I was like, no, that's my story, but it's actually true. You know, <laughs> this is what happened. It, it was so interesting to feel for the first time what it's like to be inside of the, inside the mind of someone who's done something terrible. Mm. And at the same time, trying to understand them mm. and having compassion for them, yeah. or at least trying to explain why, you know. And I think that's important, you know, understanding your uh, your enemy. I don't know if it's your enemy, but you know, understanding all sides that yeah. we're human. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me because you know sometimes when you watch thrillers and stuff like that, and you see the mind of like a psychopath or sociopath. It's always interesting to see that perspective. Did, did you, and, but you want to raise awareness to, you said the prison system and a lot of what goes on in the world, right? Injustice. Um, yeah. What do you feel that the, the world doesn't actually realize? What do you feel like is being portrayed in the world and how do you feel like they need to be more aware? Because I just did a story with a guy that does uh, yoga in prisons in South Africa. And he, mm. um, and his, he was going, uh, his premise was that a lot of the people that, that get in prison, um, you know, South Africa, they come back and then, you know, they end up back in prison because the yeah. prison didn't, doesn't prepare them for life outside of prison. And then, you know, a lot of them have the uh, quote unquote excuse of saying they had no other means. So I'm curious in what, as to what you found in your research about prison and justice system overall in different countries and how we can be better global citizens and do our part. Well, 
Well, let's look at my the film that I'm working on right now, my next documentary. It's about children and minors in the U.S. serving life without parole. That's that's a big thing. It's kids down to 14 years old that are sentenced to serve life without parole in prison. What that actually means, and this happens in the U.S. only, as far as we know. Hmm. And and what this means is that these kids are sentenced to die in prison basically you know they're going to spend their life and then when they die they're never going to get out they are you know society has given up on them and i think unfortunately it says something about the american justice system we like or you like i don't know americans think it's important to punish more than it is to um you know punishing for the sake of punishing more than it is to help to help these people or to understand why they did it or to give them a second chance or to rehabilitate like the prison system in america is a a business huge business you know mm. so um I, I think that that film i think it's important and i'm hoping to so i have two different characters that i want to there i want to tell their stories one is a kid who was you know 14 had never done anything before uh, was convicted of felony murder, which means he was part of a robbery during and during that robbery someone killed someone else, so he wasn't acti- actively part of it. So and still he's serving life without parole. I feel like his story he's very compa- like he's very charming. It's easy to understand to argue that he should have a second chance. Mm. And there's this other kid who, you know, I can't say too many details, but like he beat up uh, his neighbor's daughter to death. He was 14 too, and he hid her under his bed, and he did these really horrible things. But at the same time, he was 14. You know, like, hmm. th- do we just give up on our kids as a society? Do we try to help them if we put them behind bars forever? That's is that not cruel and um, and unjust? No, that, that, that's interesting because I'm now I'm, I'm thinking of the mindset of the person, like they like said, the the lady that was uh, killed, right? The lady that had her daughter killed. What do you? How do you reconcile that? Because a lot of times it, it's well, tough for you know, you know, if they lost someone. I how think, do you feel? Yeah, it's never that simple, and I'm not saying we shouldn't punish. You mm-hmm. know, and I I, I want to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying that people are more than just one thing. Mm-hmm. And if I think the, the, the justice system shouldn't just be based on emotion. I think if someone killed my daughter, I would want that person to be killed themselves probably. But that would be an emotion, a feeling of revenge. I would want my society to be higher than that, mm. to have um, principles and morals that are like, no, no, no. Numbers and statistics and psychology shows that if we do something to rehabilitate these people, to punish them, of course, make them realize what they've done, um, they and they they have to punish, be punished for their crimes. But to um, to rehabilitate them, then they can actually come back into society and be productive citizens. Yes. Yeah. You know, if if you just give up on people, then it's 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 yeah. No, I mean, I mean, this is this is one of those dilemmas that society goes with. I, I don't know if you follow in the uh, if you follow the um, Aaron Hernandez case here, but he was an American football player that 
was just found guilty for killing someone. So now he just got sentenced to life. And, you know, I mean, everybody has different sides of the story, but it's, it's always, um, I'm always looking at, at both sides and I'm always wondering whether, whether how, you know, how to feel. Because, like you said, there's a lot of emotions and I never know. So, I, I, you know, society having... Um, that crime and punishment book was one of the reasons why I didn't want to, I was afraid to read it because I was afraid of <laughs> what would happen in my mindset. But it's I one of those like, tough situations. Yeah. yeah. So no, it just I, I don't also want to sound like I'm too soft. You know, it's oh. not that I don't think that you should. I mean, it's not that I don't think that there should be consequences to your actions. I really think there should be. But I just I I want to shed light on an issue that a lot of people don't know about and haven't really thought about. And we also have to, it, it's a part of a bigger issue about what do we want our prisons to do? Yeah. yeah. No, I, no I, I think, I think, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think if you have an institution as, as prisons, it's, it's, uh, you know, you have to be wired a certain way, certainly, but, um, there are the things that, uh, maybe should be put in place that take emotions out of it and, and are able to understand how, you know, the people as a society can rehab, uh, you know, you know, be rehabilitated, rehabilitated. So, um, I, you know, but I, I, now I'm very curious to see what the documentary is. Oh, cause... It's, <laughs> it's going to be out in like, I hope like a year and a half or two. Okay. All right. All right. No, it I'll takes be curious. A while. You know, it's something that I'm doing on the side uh, of everything else. Cause these things take a long time. You have to write letters. You have to find, you know, the right characters, the right people to work with. And, and I'm, I'm living in Copenhagen right now. I mean, I don't know for how long, <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, okay. Now, yeah. now, you said it takes long for documentaries. I'm thinking if somebody wants to, if someone wants to go in your line of work, what what does it take? Because you do journalism, you do video journalism as well. Yeah. And um, what's the process like? So you have a, you have an idea, and then you pitch it to someone, or you or do you you find the characters, or what do you do? Do you write it like a script for a movie? What's the process? Well, it depends. I mean, do you? The, the process for what, you know, like the process to getting an idea to making a documentary yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. all right. So for this one, it was actually for all of mine, they all started with like me reading an article mm -hmm. somewhere and the story just getting stuck with me for a while. And then I've been, you know, chewing on it for a bit. And then I'm like, let, let me read some more about this. And I start reading some more articles and I can feel, okay, I think this is something that, is it's touching me and, and something that needs to be told and then I start talking with friends and colleagues and I hear if it's just me that haven't you know that if, if it's something that everyone already knows a lot about or if it's something that's a bit different or less you know that hasn't come into light that much gotcha. and uh, and then I start researching and I start finding people that might have interesting stories you know once in the 90s there was a journalist who wrote an article about this and I'm like hmm, okay interesting then once in the you know you, you start gathering research and then I start contacting people sometimes I'll start by calling an expert or or a journalist and asking them a bunch of questions about the topic and other times I start by finding a good character and then once I have a little bit of this in place I, I'll pitch I'll write down an idea of how I would like the film to be and then I start uh, asking for support 
And it's the same, I guess, for my video docs that are short docs. Mm -hmm. It's also based on an idea. And I do some basic research. And then I write down a, a pitch gotcha. of, you know, possible characters that, I, you know, I have to, I have to prepare. Gotcha. It's not just out of nowhere, you know. <laughs> and then I pitch it. And then if they like it, we continue. No. And a lot of times it's not like a someone says yes immediately. It's a really, really long process. And, <laughs> no, I, yeah. can, I can imagine. I have my business partners working on a documentary for international students in the United States, about international students in the United States. And uh, mm -hmm. she's going through this process you're going through. And I, I just think it's interesting, the idea of gathering information and doing the research. Because yeah. um, there's so many things that go into play. And like you said, it's a, it's a so long. So many. <laughs> it's a long process. Right, now, yeah. okay. So that's one side of you. What's the other side of you? Um, what are the things that you do you find yourself? What are the projects that you find yourself doing besides video projects? Well, it's mostly vid video projects and different. I mean, I, I will write articles as well. Mm -hmm. So, so okay, I'm, I'm a journalist. I have a master's in journalism. Mm -hmm. And I was working at a newspaper, a big newspaper here in Denmark. And I was um, relatively young and, you know, already, you know, writing front page news and, and I just I felt like this wasn't the place for me to reach a broad and young audience mm -hmm. like the classic newspaper wasn't where I was going to change the mind of, of young people right. and reach them so I went to New York and I took a one year documentary course at New York Film Academy and uh, I wanted to learn just the hands-on part, not the theoretical part, because I had all the theory. I'd worked as a journalist. I knew how to interview, how to research. I just needed to know how to use a camera, how to edit, and how to tell a story, you know, in in a filmic way. Hmm. And so I did that. And so I went from doing news journalism for a while, which was a bit, it was too fast for me. I was like, I'm not getting in depth with anything. I'm not reaching the people I want to reach and then I started doing just documentaries and I was like it, it's too slow for me it takes a long time I need a mix and that's where I found video journalism and, and what I'm doing right now I'm, I'm working as a freelancer and I'm getting the best of both worlds and I think people can sometimes be scared of that yeah um, and I understand but it it for me it's definitely worth it that's definitely yeah. worth it yeah I yeah, know it's like uh, it's <laughs> As an entrepreneur myself, it's one of those things where you're not sure. You'll just leap in, right? You leap in. You don't know where the net's going to appear. Absolutely. You don't know if you're going to land. And you're like, ah, but you take the, the risk. But you said you wanted that mix. And one of the uh, things that I didn't mention in your, your bio, but I know that you do, is sometimes you work with Vice Media. And Vice Media has a reputation for it. Um, yeah. You know, reaching that young audience, sometimes even, even provocative matter, but uh, they try to get to the core of the matter and touch subjects yeah. that people are not touching. So, can you tell me what oh, it's Vice like? Is, is amazing. Yeah. Oh, can you tell yeah. me what what it's like to work for Vice? Because you know, I, I see the documentaries on HBO, and I watch uh, a lot of the. I um. Well, I'm from Nigeria, so I was really watching the Ebola co coverage that they had there. And I'm very, very interested in, in what the process is actually like and what they, you know, what it's, what the stories are, how they get to you and what the environment is. Well, the environment is very uh, youthful, <laughs> very young, <laughs> but very ambitious. You know, people, people are having fun and they're, you know, there's a, 
light atmosphere in the office, but it's serious. You know, we all take it very, very seriously. And I'm very, very proud to be part of, of Vice and to be able to work for them. I, I was just at a big project that lasted three months here in Denmark. And I think it, it's, it's changing the way that we see journalism a little bit. We, we go in to different societies, to subcultures, and we talk to people and we listen to them and we let them talk and we give them a voice and we let our audience form their own opinion. And I think that's what one of the reasons why Vice is able to do all these crazy stories and to go where people don't usually go because we're not standing with our little blazer and our microphone 10 meters away or 10 feet away from what's happening. We go in there with them and we ask and we talk and we meet them, you know, at eye level. I think that's, um, that's one of the most important things. You know, I, and the key thing you said there was um, you let the audience form their own opinion. I think that's, that's really what journalism should be. And, uh, and um, yeah. I'm not sure where we lost that, but um, a lot of times when you have people trying to influence your opinion, it, it, it always makes people say, well, this is, this leans liberal, this leans conservative, this leans media, you know, so, but um, I think journalism is letting, you know, covering stories the way they are and letting people come up with their own opinions. Uh, you know, um, I've, yeah. been, I've been a fan of Vice because of that. Um, now, yeah, we're showing realities. We're yeah. showing subcultures and parts of societies, societies all over the world. And I think also if you think of media, global media, and um, what's the future of journalism and what's, you know, I think that Vice is one of these organizations that is doing, it's one of the most positive things for youth all over the world because um, we've been, you know, in America, most of the stories you read about are in the in the news are from the US in Europe most of them are from here in Denmark you know there's there has to be a Danish angle you know we we've become more um, focused on our own backyards and our own houses and our own little worlds and I think that vice is helping change that because you can see we are all at, we are interested in what's happening on the other side of the world. It just has to be told in, a, in, in an interesting way. It has to be told in a real way, in no. our own language. I agree. I agree. And for the youth out there, you know, people in our generation, millennials and even Generation Z, how do you feel like we can use media to make an impact? The reason why I launched my media company was because it was the same reason that, you know, the vice existed as I, you know, I got tired of the way stories were told. <laughs> and then I wanted to yeah. control... I wanted to have a, a platform where people could tell the stories and actually see what culture was like in different parts of the world. And so I said, why not? Why don't I just start it? And that's something that that probably wasn't possible maybe 15, 20 years ago. But the Internet has given us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. 
But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That platform for everyone to become their own media company. So how do you feel that the youth can make an impact, the social impact in the world, whether it's activism or just to get awareness out about stories that need to be told? I mean, I feel like we're, people are starting doing that now. Like, the project that you're doing is super interesting. And, like, YouTube channels and Facebook and all of this is really good at sharing. You know, it's a good platform to sharing, for sharing stories. And I think that if we make sure that we we tell stories in a good way, in in like a quality way, it doesn't matter where the story is from. We just have to find the, la- the a common language, you know, which I think is what Vice does. When I said that it has to be spoken in our language, I don't mean like English or French. Yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, like exactly. We, most people that I know, that I know don't care about subtitles or not. And it doesn't matter if the story is told in a strong way, in a good way. And it doesn't even have to be a three-camera crew. We can go and do it with, with our own cameras now. You know, we, yeah. can tell, we can tell stories in five minutes. We can tell them in 20 or, you know, 50. I just really think we should, um, all of us, all of us who wants to, who want to work in, wants to work in journalism. Should do that. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Now, the, Let's go to some more fun, fun questions here. What is the funnest story that you, you've worked on? The, the funnest? Fun. I don't know if that's it. First of all, I don't know if that's English. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, excuse me. <laughs> but um, what, what, is, what is the most fun you've had working on a story? Maybe that's a better way to ask that. <laughs> oh, no, I can't, I can't decide that. I've had so much fun. And it, it always depends. It's different kinds of fun, you know. I remember there was... Um, one time in when I was I wanted to be a better uh, editor. I wanted to learn how to edit better, so I, I said yes to this job in in um, in New York in Brooklyn for a show called uh, Jewish Star, which was a singing competition for Hasidic men, Hasidic Jews, and it was just it has nothing to do with my culture. It's completely a different world, and it was one of the funnest, weirdest things to be part of because I was, you know, I was learning to be a better editor and to, to cut things well and to have rhythm and to use a program well. And at the same time, I was just making this reality TV competition, this reality TV show for a huge Hasidic Jewish community in New York. And it, there was this beautiful little song, like theme song, for the program, it was really, really just huh. weird and fun and eye-opening as well. You know, I learned about a culture. And then there's another kind of fun, which was I was covering the uh, the World Cup for um, in Brazil. Uh, I was I was going to get there. Uh, just keep yeah, yeah keep going. But I'm gonna. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. So, well, oh, no, that was just a lot of fun. There was a lot of stories there, and one of the stories that I I I, I did was. Well, I've been working in Brazil for like three years, back and forth a little bit, and I've in, in that time I made contact with a guy who started as 
uh, you know, a, a driver, someone to help us with this, someone to help us with that. And I started talking more and more with him, and he became a really good contact in the slums. He would, he's the, the guy who would take me into the slums. And he told me once that his, well, someone he knew was one of the biggest drug lords in, in Rio. And I asked him if he would let me interview him. And he was like, no, of course not, of course not, of course not. <laughs> and then after a while, like, he was like, one day he's like, yeah, so I spoke to him and he said, yes, we can do it, like, next week. And I was like, oh, oh, my God. And it's really, it's a big deal. And he was like, it has to be only you. There can't be anyone else. And I'm like, no, no way am I going all by myself into a slum to do, you know, somewhere I don't know, full, surrounded by men in machine guns and in masks and doing an interview. No, I need, like, at least a cameraman with me. <laughs> so we negotiated back and forth. And and we he said yes, and we went. And, you know, I've been talking to this guy. Well, not I, not anymore, of course, but I did a few times on the phone. And he saw the, the, the video that we made, the film, and he liked it. Like, he approved of it. And it's just... I, I don't know. He was just an interesting guy. Mm. And I think he was surprisingly charming. He came in, he was like, I have only 10 minutes, you know, I don't even know why I'm doing this. And he ended up sitting with me for more than an hour and talking and talking about his kids and, you know, and what he likes to do and what music he likes. And, and then also we talked about how many people he killed and how he was controlling everything from inside of the prison. This is a, you know, this is a bad guy. Yeah. But I guess if you go up that high in the community, it's also because you know how to deal with people and you know how to be charming. And he was. And I think telling stories like that, that was really a crazy, unique access. And in the end, he was like, hey, do you want to try to hold my gun? Wow. Like, like, wow, you know, and I never, I've never even seen a gun, you know, grew up in Denmark. We don't really have that here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a pretty crazy fun experience too yeah. so there's a bit of everything you know yeah no it sounds like a mix of fun danger and intrigue there but um wow yeah i think it depends on what you want from each thing you know the jewish star program was like i wanted to learn how to edit mm -hmm. and i had good people that could teach me that and then i had some fun in the meantime this wasn't for me a journalistic project you know yeah yeah, yeah. no and so it, it all depends on what you want out of something and I think maybe that's what can help you when you're a freelancer and you take on different projects to know what do I need to get better at? What do I want from this project? And if I do this, what should I do then? What would, you know, be good in connection with it or what be, would be a good supplement or what do I need? Like you can look back at your work and see this wasn't that good. This wasn't that great. This was okay, but it could be better. And I mean, I'm still young. I'm really... Everything is about getting better, you know. I feel like every time I've made a project, I look back and I learn. Like I know now how I should have done it. I, you're right. I mean, I feel like we grow every day, and I, I it's it's the same way. When I remember when I first started podcasting, it was an, it was an accident, and I didn't know what I was doing. But it was the same sort of way. But you get better at interviewing, the more you feel, yeah. and uh, and you get better at finding stories. Um, like I, I found you on Twitter. And maybe I couldn't do that before, but if you just find a way to to share a story and try and connect with someone, and then um, I I still yeah. am blown away though by your 
Brazilian story. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. But um, you should you should definitely do a story in Nigeria, my my home country. You would have a lot of stories, similar stories. Yeah. Especially for the uh, the Boko Haram, you would yeah. have a lot of similar stories. But um, all right, all right. Now let's before we wrap up here, I want you to, to dispel some stereotypes about uh, Denmark and Brazil. I grew up one of the countries I grew up in was Sweden. But um, oh. Scandinavia. Oh, okay, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, Stockholm. I, my brother was born in Stockholm. But wow. my uh, there are a lot of stereotypes about uh, about Denmark and uh, Scandinavia as a whole. So I want you to walk the our audience through what it's actually like to live in Denmark and what the the uh, you know the way of life is there and how that's so different from living in Brazil and the United States. All right. <laughs> I know I put you on the spot, but I'm sure I used to this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think one thing that is amazing about Denmark is it's we have this amazing um, trust. Trust is the biggest word I think. We, you know, if you if you take a walk through the street in a spring day on a spring day, like the street next to my my apartment, you're gonna see like maybe seven, eight, or nine um, uh, ba- baby carriages. That's what they call strollers. Yeah. Strollers, baby with carriages, strollers. yeah, with baby way. sleeping in inside of them, and no moms around because the moms are inside the sh- the stores or they're having you know they're eating lunch with someone inside the restaurant and they can see the baby. It's right outside, you know, it's right outside the window, and I for me it's such a natural thing. I always grew up with it, and I think it's super cute. And of course, they have a little baby monitor and everything. And I just think it's so beautiful that we can do this. And I have friends that came here and visited, and they're like. Oh my God! This is this is crazy. What are the what are these women doing? You know, this is super dangerous. And I'm like, it's it's really not. There has not been one case of a child abduction or anything like that. Um, and I think it shows. It says a lot about our society. I, I I also like we have trust in the government. We have trust in general in, in each other. You know, it's a very safe country. And at the same time. It's also, it, it, it's very small, and it, the mentality can be very small sometimes as well. I mean, one of the things that I find really great about Denmark is that we always make sure to help our weakest mm-hmm. ones, but at the same time, it's not a country that allows a lot of, um, that pushes people to become their best either. Gotcha. Uh, I think we sometimes end up fostering mediocrity, medio, medi, mediocrity. Oh my, I can't even say the word. Yeah, mediocrity, you got it. <laughs> mediocrity. Yeah. We end up fostering mediocrity here in um, in Denmark because we we are so focused on on taking the weakest ones with us, which I think which I think is one of the strengths as well. It's just a, it's complex, but one of the reasons I went to the, to the U.S. and one of the things I love about America is exactly this mentality you know you you if someone says they have a dream then people will will usually you know support them or like okay so go for it and you'll work for that dream and you'll go to new york and you'll you know mm. you'll there's a whole system and way of thinking that supports personal growth and people who have talent gotcha wow yeah and and i think one another thing that like my, my parents being brazilian here in Denmark, it was every time we went to the supermarket or the restaurant or just stepped outside of our house, 
we would be the loudest people ever. Like always, always, always. It didn't even matter. We were just always the loudest, most different people. My dad is an artist. My mom is, she's a pianist. She plays, so they're both artists. And they, they're like, my dad's a little bit crazy in the good sense. You know, he'll talk really, really loudly. He'll remember. And it's just, I was always different. And I think maybe, perhaps that was one of the needs as well. It wasn't just a professional need. It was a personal need as well to get out of here. Um, some more and just go to a place like New York where everyone else, well, everybody's different. I'm not even that, like, I'm not very, I don't stand out that much over there, you know, yes. and I think that that made, gave me a feeling of safety. And when I was in Brazil, it was, you know, I was the, the cousin from Europe. So I think, um, I think that's what I meant by what I said in the beginning about feeling at home in many places, but also feeling a little bit outside. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that actually said anything about the stereotypes. No, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, Brazil, um, every, the stereotype is that it's, uh, it's, I know it, it is actually, it's a football nation, soccer nation. That's all they do. But then there's a lot more to Brazil because a lot of my Brazilian friends talk about some of the different things going on, whether it's the economy, government, whatever. But I'm I'm always curious still as to what the people are like, what the normal day to life is in Brazil. Um, I think yeah. it depends a lot. You know, I think here in Denmark we have more of a norm because we have a smaller gap of income. Where in Brazil it's huge. We have some of the richest people and some of the poorest people. Right. And. I think, I mean, I, I really, really love Brazil, and I think that uh, the, you know, we you keep hearing about all these uh, research, all these studies that say, oh, Denmark is the happiest nation in the world. I'm not sure that's true. Danes are really satisfied, and we feel safe, and we feel secure. But if you walk on the streets, I think Brazilians are much more, are much warmer and more open and more smiling and have this mentality of let's kick the ball forward you know okay shit happens so what are we going to do about it let's yeah. you know move on life is tough yeah. you know get used to it or whatever like let's make it better let's i think that and i think that's part of being happy as well gotcha no no it's good i think it's good and then and, um the, what you said about brazil is exactly how a lot of you know countries that are moving up from uh you know an economy level yeah. grow i mean nigeria you have a lot of rich people you also have a lot of the poor people, uh, and then and same with a lot of countries in um, in Africa, where they're developing and they're up and coming. The disparity is it's wider than um, um, other countries, but it's also very very populous. So a lot of people in there. So that yeah. also adds to the disparity. So, but you know, I, I think sure. I think it's great that you you painted that picture because um I you know I know just from talking to my Brazilian friends that there's obviously a lot more than 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 Pele and Neymar. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I, in the World Cup, but there's also a lot more culture. So yeah, there is, and I have actually a lot of faith in the new generation. I think um, people inside Brazil very often get blinded by, um, you know, oh, things are tough right now. There are corruption scandals, and and it's true. It's it's horrible, and we need to fight this. But I actually, you know, looking at Brazil from outside, I see 
a positive development. I see a youth that is more informed and that has a will to do something about to do something about it. Like my cousin, for instance, he uh, he came to Denmark and studied for a year, and he's going to go to the U.S. now and study two years. And but he is planning on going back to Brazil because he wants to contribute to Brazilian society. He wants yep, to help yep. make Brazil a better place. And I think that he's not uncommon, you know. And I think that that's that's a good thing. I have faith in the in the the young generation of Brazil. And you're someone I have faith in too. So I really do appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate thank you. you. Yeah, I you appreciate. Too. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you coming on here and talking about all that you do. So this this is the part where I want you to talk about where people can find you and your next projects and how people can reach out to you and maybe even leave a last sage advice for the audience about what to oh. do in our society today. But this 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 is all yours. Take over. <laughs> uh, I I'm yeah. Sorry, I'm like I don't know an advice to give to the to the to the listeners. Well, you can start I, I by mean, saying what were you up to next and then you're gone. Okay, well, right now I'm going to continue working for uh freelancing for Vice and I'll be back hopefully on on Vice full time in the fall. And um, I'm going to continue working on my projects. I'm probably going to go to Brazil and work some more there. And I'm going to go to Israel, work some more there. I think you. Ha- I-, I listen a lot to my to to my gut. I guess if there's a story that I keep thinking about that I want to do, then I actually try to make everything possible for me to do it. You know, once I set something, um, set a goal, I'll I'll go for it. And another thing, I guess, also that I, that I find important is I was always very, very ambitious and I had one, you know, this is what I want to do and I'll go after it. And then suddenly, after I finished my documentary course, I had like a year or two where I'm like, I don't know exactly what I want, so I'm going to shop around a little bit. I, it's all within the same, you know, it's it's journalism, it's documentary film, it's social issue, but it could be Brazil, it could be the U.S., it could be, you know, there, and I think that made me so much better at what I do, and it gave me a little bit more of a gutsy feeling, a gutsy take. I'm less scared, I guess, yeah. to jump into projects, mm-hmm. because I had a, a time where I was fumbling a little bit, and I think that is really good. You try out different things, and then you find out. Okay, I like this. This is what I'm good at. This makes sense now. I have all these little boxes, and I'm trying to put them together, and now they're making sense, and they're taking me up. I'm making little boxes with my hands, and you can't see them. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I guess just uh, I think people will will be more like I'm not going to look back and be like, wow. I regret having spent five years of my life in New York, and it was tough sometimes, you know. And, and of course, it was tough. And I can look at some of my friends here back in Denmark that had the same journalistic uh, background as me. We went to the same school. Like my friend at the same age, she has an apartment um, that she, you know, loves. She has a steady job. She has a really good income, big more like loans and you know, the car and everything. And I just came back, you know, from New York. I'm, you know, I, I have 
uh, very little materialist like yeah materialistic things yeah but i have an experience that i think has made me a lot happier and yeah Yeah. i i got a little bit away from it (laughs) so anyway i will continue to work on my stories on in different places in the world and, and maybe try to create a little bit of a brand around me like this is the kind of journalistic stories i do yeah yeah these are the stories that i do and this is the video journalist or this is the documentarian that i am you know i have my voice and i want to try to build that up more now and my next project is that documentary that i told you about that i mentioned earlier and then all the small projects and i I, i'm going to continue with the international view i'm not going to focus on just one country because I think it's all about the story. It's not about the country. Gotcha. Oh. So, yeah. Hey, let me know yeah. when you have all these I'm things. I'm sorry. That wasn't very clear, but, you know. No, yeah. I, I, got, I got the message. You know, you, 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 a lot of the experiences you've had have made you become who you are today. And you wouldn't trade them for what they are, even when it felt like you were maybe unsure of what yeah. the future would have. But you found yourself through those, those lessons and uh, experiences you put yourself in. I think you said yeah. it very well. I say, don't be scared. Like, yeah. just try. You know, throw yourself yourself out there because it'll work out. I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's the, you know, that's honestly a similar story I have. So I, you know, I, you couldn't see me. You were making boxes. I was just nodding my head over here. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so that, uh, thank you so much, Bianca. That this has thank been great. You. Um, and thank you for giving us a real, real uh, life view of what you know stories are like and you know how you you really think. I think it was really, really enlightening. So I appreciate oh, that. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear. I hope, I hope your listeners will think that too. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. 